Hello. News is that Jack Eichel is finally out of Buffalo. Yes, he was there winding up the pregame siren in, uh, I can't say Las Vegas, Golden Vegas Knights uh, Stadium. And he's there. He's had surgery. But what next for him? How will Vegas fit him on the payroll come February? And what next for his old club, Buffalo Sabres? We're going to recap a bit of the old Eichel. We're going to talk about how COVID is back with vengeance. And we're going to ask that question. Is there trouble with Seattle settling in? Welcome to NHL Fans From Afar. Hello, uh, I'm Claire, and with me tonight is Craig, and we are both COVID-free, right? Yeah, yeah, good evening. Um, Yeah, completely (laughs) free of COVID. (laughs) (laughs) However, uh, one of our hosts, Joel on Kent Walker, has been taken down by the Lurgy, so he's in bed. So get well soon, Joel on. Uh, and Matt has other things going on called life, I suppose. So it's us two today. It's a uh, East versus West. I feel like we've kind of got the balance right here. Not that I'm representing all of the Eastern Conference. I will never be able to deal with that kind of pressure. I feel somehow you, Craig, might be able to cope with taking on the responsibility of the Western Conference. You know your stuff. Yeah, it's like the West versus Toronto and anyone who's played Toronto in the past two weeks. We'll call it that. We'll We'll go with that. We'll go with that. Yeah. So, I mean, before we kind of get into some of our, our talking points, we, we're breaking this down into three periods, three talking points. I mean, I just want to say a personal thank you to so many of you who listened to our last episode and you reached out and we started conversations with you and you started conversations using your blogs, your Twitter as a platform to share our podcast, but also just talk about the story um, behind uh, Kyle Beach. Obviously, since then, things have kind of progressed. We'll get into a bit of that um, a little bit later when we uh, talk about Anaheim Ducks. Uh, But yeah, we really, really thank you for um, being a part of the journey because we know that episode was a little bit different from what we normally do. I mean, I would say one thing that has really I've enjoyed in the last two weeks, um, Craig, is I've really enjoyed watching hockey. Toronto are up there doing three, four games a week at the moment. And I have to say, I mean, I know they're better. Austin Matthews has woken up, which always helps us. We were like, what is going on with Matthews? When is he going to start scoring? And boom, he arrived. He gets game-winning goal in overtime. I mean, I have really reveled in just the pure enjoyment of watching hockey. How has it been for you over at the Avalanches? Yeah, uh, Colorado have been really quiet, actually, which is good considering the injuries they've got. Um, they've, yeah. they've played two games per week and are playing just two this week. For I think it's about three weeks now. Um, I've no idea why, how it's dropped or anything. There'll be some time in March or something when they're playing like uh, every other day or whatever. But um, so I've, I've watched a few. I've watched a few other teams uh, to be honest. When I've when I've managed to find a bit of time, I watched Detroit last night um, and. Other than a few small rookie errors and a bit of game management, Detroit are a miles, miles better team than they were last year. Mm. Uh, they'll they'll be even better in, in sort of another 12 months' time. Um, I've watched a bit of the New York Rangers. They appear to be getting there. Um, but you're right. It's 
we, we've still had things going off. There's still been a lot of news, sort of off-ice news as well, but it's been a, a much better and easier to handle balance uh, for us j- just to watch some some games and, like I say, enjoy it. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've enjoyed it and quite a lot of neutral viewing just because, for whatever reason, Colorado are just not playing. Well, we can't not mention, um, you know, fans of the sport, all like in our dreams, we all believe that we can deke like Conor McDavid, that snazzy kind of S-shaped kind of movement he does with his feet towards the goal. I mean, his overtime goal for a win against New York Rangers, if you haven't watched that, just go Google that. It was like the thing of dreams. Like I imagine, I mean, they even did a, a feature on Sportsnet where they got other hockey players, mostly the Leafs, to talk about what they thought when they watched the clip on social media. Like it was like something out of a video game. I was like, that is why that guy gets paid the big bucks, and that's why Edmonton Oilers are right up there right now. They're doing, the, you know, they're right at the top of the league. What are they second in the league or, or thirds? Right up there anyway, third I think, aren't they? But that was a beautiful, beautiful goal. I mean, yeah. oh, that is yeah, what the game's about. Yeah, it's, it's what every kid dreams of uh, dreams of scoring or, or attempts to score at their local rink on a weekend. I thought um, is he's, he's sort of Edmonton are being carried by Conor McDavid, but in many ways because of how much they pay him and how the count is, Edmonton have to be carried by Conor McDavid. Um, he he does he does this every season, you know. He, he, it's strange to think that the the best player in the league like somehow seems better than last year, and last year he seemed a bit better than the year before. And and but he, but he genuinely does. He he, uh, he amazes me with the things that he does. Is um, I, I love the fact that we've got the best player in the league, and it's pure skill and speed and puck handling abilities. It's not the best player in the league because he uses his size really well. It's just some little lad essentially, um, and and he's very very quick. He's got wonderful hands that he can just do anything he wants with um and, and his skill levels absolutely unbelievable uh, he's, he's just a joy to watch isn't he really mm. well that kind of links us into like one of the major stories um of the last couple of weeks which was with jack eichel what's the link between jack eichel and Conor mcdavid they were both part of the 2015 draft uh eichel went second Connor went first i've definitely got that the right way around yeah um, you have yeah so that's the connection there. Another connection as well is that now that finally Jack Eichel has had surgery, we'll get into what surgery he's had and why it's so controversial in a second. Who's the uh, who's the the rehab doc that he's got to help him out? Only the same one as Conor McDavid had a few months ago. Talk about the links. Should work in radio. <laughs> so... Um, I mean, for people who don't know, we've we've chosen to kind of pick apart this story about Jack Eichel because we've touched on it a little bit in our podcast in the past. But for me, I kind of had to go back to basics. I've kind of put Buffalo Sabres as a team at the periphery of my vision. They haven't really had a great role like in the last few years. I've been following NHL and I didn't really know much about them. So um like Craig, I kind of went back to basics and just Googled like, okay, so where did this journey start with Buffalo Sabres? So here is my like uh, detailed Google um, a thon slash Wikipedia search on uh, Jack Eichel slash elite prospects because that's always great too. So <laughs> he gets he gets drafted second overall in 2015 by Buffalo Sabres. Um, he then signs a three year entry level contract with them. 
<clears throat> and then when that contract comes up in t- just before the 2819 uh, season, he changes changes his jersey number from 15 to 9. I actually didn't know that. Um, and then he signs a new deal with them eight years. Uh, I've forgotten what number it was, but it's quite a lot of money. Um, he also then becomes the captain of the Sabres. So then you kind of look at some of the highlights that he brings. I mean, this is a team for six seasons they built around this guy. Um, he scores his first NHL, NHL goal in 2015. He's the youngest player in Sabres history to get that. Um, he scored four goals in a 4-2 win over the Ottawa Senators. He was the seventh Sabres player to uh, record four goals in one game. He became the first player in Sabres history to score a penalty shot goal in overtime. He set a franchise record for goals scored in overtime. He was going to be the players, sorry, the player that was basically going to take these guys to have their first ever Stanley Cup in their 51-season history. Never won a Stanley Cup. He was going to be the guy to do it. But they were terrible. Anyway, fast forward to March, as of uh, March this year, he um, has a, gets hit on the ice and that puts him out. He needs, he's got a neck injury and, of course, he needs surgery. The difficulty seemed to be was what type of surgery that he was going to have. So his, um, his, let me get this right. So the club wanted him to have fusion surgery. Um, however, the uh, words around that are that a quarter of people who have fusion surgery actually need to have further surgery later on. Um, what his doctors were saying is, no, mate, you need to have disc replacement surgery. The problem was that no NHL player had ever had this type of surgery. So the Sabres were like, mm, we're not so sure. And of course, under the collective bargain agreement under the NHL for players, the team has the final say on what type of surgery a player can have. So they're a stalemate. Uh, what ended up resulting in that was a bit of a standoff. He gets stripped of his captaincy um, in September, just a couple of months ago. And that was that. And it all went quiet. So a couple of weeks ago, that last week, it all blows into one. November the 4th was last week, wasn't it? My God. Um, finally, it's announced. There have been rumours, but he's traded to Vegas Golden Knights in exchange for a third round draft pick. Um, sorry, along with a draft pick, uh, Eichel gets traded in exchange for Alex Touche and Peyton Krebs and their first round and second round draft picks. All that kind of nonsense. Draft picks, you're just like, whatever. It's just mythical pieces of paper in the future. So, I mean, it kind of left me thinking, well, what's the future of the Sabres? And I was lucky enough to watch the Sabres this weekend because the Leafs played them. I thought they were a really hot, exciting team. They were really, really speedy. Um, they, you know, almost kind of took us, but we managed to kind of cling on. It was a it was a road game for us. Um, and there's some really exciting players in there. Dylan Cousins is one of them. I mean, it showed a letter that he wrote when uh, he was a young boy to his coach, basically saying when he was 16, he wanted to play in such and such league. When he was 20, he would play in the NHL and how he was going to get that, how he was going to achieve those goals. That's how driven he was. And he was brilliant. But I mean, a lot of people are like, where does this leave the Sabres? You're already crap. Now you've just lost your major awesome player. What are you doing? Where is your future? 
the other part, Craig, I know which you'll know a lot more about is where does this leave Vegas? Like this guy is not cheap. Jack Eichel is taking some serious cap space. And yes, he might not come back until February, but how are they going to afford him on the payroll? Who's going to have to move out the way? What kind of jiggery poker are they going to need to get him on the lineup? Yeah, um, we'll, we'll we'll get to Vegas in a minute because it's 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 an impossible task unless they do something. Um, first of all, Jack Eichel, like you said, he went second on the 2015 draft. I, I remember back then, and every single person who were talking about a draft said that in any other year with no Conor McDavid, Jack Eichel is like the most standout of first round picks, uh, first overall picks um, that that there is. To to be honest, and Jack Eichel sort of coming second, don't don't think there is a second overall pick. He's not. He's just completely unlucky. The bloke that me and you have just been saying how incredible he is, he just so happened to be in the same year as him and he's come second behind him. If Jack Eichel's a year older, two years older, three years older, whatever, um, he's a certified number one overall pick that, that we're all talking about for months in anticipation to see which team um, loses enough games and wins the lottery to take him on. Um, so, so it is, is is in theory an over an number one overall pick. Um, in terms of Buffalo, they've they've had Eichel to build around, and because they've not really built properly around him, they've also had further pieces, further high end up draft picks that have just not either not either worked out for them or they've drafted the wrong they've drafted the wrong players for the wrong positions or, or whatever. Um, and that Dylan Cousins, who you've just mentioned, he he was sort of the next one in line who was going to come on and and him, him and Eichel were, were going to be like the two stars of the team and drag them forward. Uh, they've got the defenseman, Darlene, is his first name, Rasmus, I think. Um, yes, yes, yeah. he's, <clears throat> he's the other one. It was like He's supposed to be like one of the top five defensemen in the league in like three or four years, and that's how Buffalo solved their, solved their defensive problems. Um, but nothing seemed to have really clicked for them and gone right for them. So they've been going through years with Jack Eichel, but knowing the need to do more than Jack Eichel and never really being able to find it. So it, it's just, it's, I don't know, it's, it's a strange one that you would have thought that somewhere along the lines, a franchise would have been able to just get one other player and just make them click, but but they haven't done for whatever reason. And to, to be honest, Eichel's sort of been upset and disappointed that that's not happened. And when you're as good as him, um, you, you know, you want to be competing for a Stanley Cup. You don't want to be on a team that's that's going to be finishing bottom of the division and towards the bottom of the entire NHL for for however many years in a row. Um, mm. He's if he does come back to his best, then he fully deserves to be on a team like Vegas, who who are contending. Um, he's he's good enough to contend. So I, I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed from an house point of view that he's gone to Vegas, obviously because. The Avs and Vegas over in the West have, have sort of seem to have that between them for the next few years. Um, but in many ways, I'm pleased that he's gone to a contender to hopefully get a chance to shine if everything comes back with his injury. Um, he's I've read something on the internet a few days ago. He's says that he's aiming to be back in three months. Mm. Um, if that works, then then three months sort of takes you to the Olympics ish uh, in February. I mean, it, it could drop perfectly for for Vegas, where Eichel's back on the ice when the Olympics come round. But instead of obviously going to the Olympics, he gets three weeks, two, three weeks, whatever it is, um, 
any players who's not going to the Olympics, they're going to be playing on the ice. They're going to be practicing every day. So he's he's got three weeks worth of practice time, essentially a pre-season, just minus the games, to get mm. himself ready for when everyone comes back. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that, actually. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, the, the thing that made me um, laugh about the Buffalo Sabres was how this is a team that's had more general managers than playoff games in the last 10 years. They've had four general managers and zero playoff games in 10 years. I was like... It kind of says a lot about what's kind of going on here, you know? It it, it, it sort of screams badly run franchise, <laughs> I think, really, doesn't it? And and, and it is, um, at least from oh, the outside just looking also, in. Watching the game on Sunday morning, there was hardly anybody in in that stadium. It there were so many empty seats. It was shocking compared to like the noise that we're hearing and you know the fact that people haven't really been able to watch hockey for a long time. Get going. Do you know what I mean? Like it was empty. Yeah, the the Sabres have got a lot of trouble with apparently they've got like, I don't know if it's about three, four thousand um Canadian season ticket holders. Ah, which right. are not allowed to travel across the border. I see. Um locally, the fans locally, apparently, um <laughs> I think this is right, the local Buffalo fans sort of tend to go with whoever's playing well. And the Bills in the NFL are doing really well. And the Sabres have not done well for years. So mm. local fans who sort of pick and choose where they go and not choosing to go to Buffalo. And then there's three or 4,000 season ticket holders who can't go. You see, I see. And, and this is where I think it, it's, it, it is interesting. That, and that's why I kind of like this sport because there's so many different elements. There's like the culture, there's the business of how it's ran, you know, there's um, the family side, there's the skill side, there's the development side. I mean, yeah, it's it's a lot really, isn't it, to kind of keep these going up. And because unlike, say, British-like sports, there isn't relegation and promotion, then you just kind of have to hope that these guys that are like on the down and out just hold on a little bit longer. Yeah, yeah, you do. Um <sighs> So one of the things that Buffalo do have, that Buffalo have, have got sort of two or three older end guys that you would like contribute. One, one of the problems with the team, really, they would contribute on like a third line somewhere else. But because there's no other, they're not wanting to throw their youngsters in too much. Those players are essentially like first line minutes at the minute. See. And which doesn't help with their with their sort of setup either, because you're asking players to do something that's a bit unnatural for them, and and, and to be honest, too much because they're just simply not good enough. Mm. Um, I, I don't know I, everything. We we could sit here and talk for an hour about the mistakes that Buffalo have made, uh, but but the listeners <laughs> will probably rather not. I don't know. <laughs> I think at one point I was like, I don't know what Jolon's more angry about, Buffalo or Ottawa. You know, in in the East, it's like. Who's the crappiest of the East? Um, yeah. Although I think Montreal could be taking that at the moment. Um, so, yeah, I, also I didn't realise um, the backup goalie for Buffalo is a guy called Aaron Dell. And, and I forgot that he had actually signed with the Leafs last year. Um, but then he was part of the taxi squad. Nothing really happened. He played in training camp. I don't think it kind of worked out. They put him on waivers and then he went to the Devils, I think. So, uh, yeah. and it was it really, I, I didn't know that until I watched the game on Sunday. Um, whereas Jack Campbell was obviously someone who was kind of up and coming and it worked out for him. So last year was obviously 
a lot of decisions were made about goaltending for Leafs and it seems that it kind of paid off the risks that um, the Leafs made by pinning everything on Jack Campbell. Dell was kind of part of the, the you know, the, the mop-up really that had to go and make, make way. So, but again, that kind of says a lot about Buffalo, yeah. doesn't it? That they don't, they're not really out there kind of making all these savvy picks. They're kind of just, are they picking up the dregs? I, I don't want to kind of say that Aaron Dell is a, is a dreg because I thought that he played very well, um, considering that the pressure and the offensive um, skill that Toronto have, the fact that Buffalo were able to finish only one goal down in a 5-4 game, I think it says a lot that there's quite a lot of fighting spirit. I do find it interesting with Buffalo that in the last few years, they've gone on these kind of crazy kind of runs where everyone thinks, oh my God, Buffalo are good again. This is amazing. And then suddenly they crash and it's like, oh no, they're uh, they're still pretty crap. Yeah, were it, were it last year when they went so many games, were it like 14 games without a loss or something like that? They were win- yeah, they were getting points. I think they were either winning or they were losing in in overtime or something like that. And you, you're right. And then like, and then they went and got Taylor Hall. And well, this is Buffalo's problem solved. But actually, it's not. <laughs> it's yeah. not. Do you, do you want me to try and explain Vegas's cap situation? Okay, yeah, because I'm not very good. This is normally where I defer to Jolon, who loves basically spending all of his lunch breaks on capfriendly.com. It's not my interest. Go for it. What what's a lunch break? Um <laughs> Yeah. So so anyway, basically, the way that Vegas can afford Eichel at the minute is because they've got so many players on um injured reserve. So they've got a big part of their salary. Um, they've got William Carlson, Mark Stone, uh, Max Pacioretty, all stashed on. So they've got cap space to bring in someone who's on $10 million. When he comes in, he then goes on to injury reserve, Eichel, so his $10 million goes on there as well. But obviously, although they've got space to bring him in, bring him in the players who are on injury reserve need to come back at some point. When Vegas started this, they'd got, roughly about three million sparing cap, which most of it's come from getting rid of Alex Tuck, who's gone to Buffalo as part of this deal. Um, so that's freed up that, but you've got Eichel's 10 million salary and three million space. So essentially they're 7 million over the cap when everyone's healthy. So the only two options for Vegas are to hope that someone stays injured and, not necessarily long-term, but until the playoffs, um, sort of in the way that and they've, they've been sort of slammed for doing this. They, they just navigated the rules very well. But in the way that Tampa Bay did last year with Kucherov, they were well over the cap when the playoffs came round because they simply got to the playoffs, took him off the injury reserve list, and there's no cap in the playoffs, so they're fine. So Vegas can get round this if they've got an injury from now until the playoffs. Right. Though none none of their players are supposed to be out until the playoffs. Obviously, Eichel is a stab in the dark at three months, really. That's what he's hoping for. But then maybe there's a situation where Eichel's four months and it sort of takes him to the beginning of April, but the playoffs start at the end of April. So do you just keep him under the radar, yeah. let him train every day? I could, I could personally see a situation where uh, Eichel doesn't play a regular season game but plays the first playoff game. But to complicate things for Vegas, they need to make that decision at the trade deadline because if they do need to get rid of Cap, 
They've got to get rid of Cap at the trade deadline. So if they're hoping that Eichel comes back and everyone else is healthy, they need to somehow get rid of $7 million off their team, but also without taking anything else in. So what the only way that... If they go over the cap, do they get fined or or, or can't remember what happens? Well, they've they've got to be under the cap to play. They've got to have a be under the cap to play a game. So so there's somebody not playing a game, but there's all sorts of things to do with fines and everything. For um, there's something to do with bench sizes as well because if you're you you may not have seen this because I think it was just one or two games, but Vegas last year played the Avs with like 16 skaters because they physically couldn't afford to spend any more money to put any more players on the ice because they got players who were injured and on the roster, but not eligible for the injured reserve list or, or whatever. It, this is where it starts getting really complicated. Um, but either vague, basically, I think the only two options for Vegas are to keep Eichel out until the playoffs when they can just unleash him and away he goes, or to shed some cap at the deadline or before, um, but they can't take anything back. And, Vegas always strikes me as the sort of team that want to go out and find a player at the deadline as well. Mm. Um, they oh, always, seem to, they always seem to go out. Mark yeah, Stone was all... a big deal two years ago, wasn't yeah. it? Mm. Yeah, they, they always seem to. Now, obviously, although Eichel's already traded, if he does happen to come back in February or March, he's essentially their trade deadline pickup, um, which will negate that. But then if that does happen, they've got to somehow lose 7 million, whatever, on the cap. Um and the, to be honest, because the cap stayed flat and it's projected to do the same next year, um, it costs a lot. It costs a lot in assets to get rid of money. So you'd be in a situation where Vegas are trying to get rid of a bad contract, and they potentially would have to send a draft pick with it to also like to, to get rid of that money. But then that's on top of already sending their first and second to Buffalo for for the They're next couple out of picks, years. And they good exactly, exactly. Um, this is this is Vegas's all in got to got to win a Stanley Cup in the next couple of years sort of moment. This interesting. I mean, and that's where it is like a game of poker sometimes. Forgive the pun with Vegas, but it, it totally is, isn't it? I mean, I kind of like sit there wondering, like in my naive little self. So, does that mean that Jack Eichel's getting a monthly payment from Vegas? even though he's not playing for them, like, or, or because he's not even kind of there, even on injured reserve, he's not getting paid. I, I always wonder how these little deals work. And I guess a lot of the time, what I find it interesting, more interesting with trades, no, actually I don't find it interesting. It's really boring. But people pick and put these no move clauses because they want to go to the teams that live in states which are a bit better on terms of taxes. Certain teams get around that by doing bonus payments. So I guess, I mean, I haven't broken down what all the ins and outs of his contract, but sometimes there can be upfront payments or spread out over or it's top loaded or, or something like that around it, I suppose. But yeah, that, that was one of the reasons why um, why Eichel didn't get traded at either the draft or on free agency in the summer because there's something linked with his contract where he has a, a big bonus payment either like at the very end or the very start. I can't remember which way around it is. So if he was traded at the draft, whoever brought him in would have to pay him. Like I think he's, he's on 10 million a year and like 5 million of it's a bonus. At, and so they would bring him in and have to pay him $5 million straight away. Uh-huh. Um, or so, something like that. I can't remember the, la- the like the last day of last season or the first day of this season. 
But however it worked, that's the reason why he didn't get traded in the summer. It's so complicated. I mean, I'm not saying that football's simple. It, and like, there's a lot of kind of stuff that goes behind closed doors with football and the agent's fee and all that. But geez, way to make a sport more complicated. I mean, you need a maths degree sometimes to work out these trades. <laughs> you need like some kind of, I don't know, a murder mystery detective kind of like microscope to read all the small print. It is absolutely bonkers. Yeah, yeah. It's, and, and obviously there's a difference between amount of money paid and amount of money that's going towards the salary cap and, and then all sort of that sort of thing comes into play. And it, it's very confusing. The salary cap's like the best thing to keep hockey competitive that, that we could have, but it makes things very, very confusing if you wanted to have a look at a player and, and their wage and how their wage is paid and what happens if they're not, not playing and, and all that sort of thing. It's, it's, it's mega complicated. It's funny, isn't it? Because when I first started following NHL on my own in my bedroom and there wasn't things like this kind of podcast, you're just muddling your way through, aren't you? It's enough to work out, right, who's on the ice? What are their names? What colour is their jersey? Oh, they're in America. What's the, sec- what's the second name of all the teams in the league? And now I feel like we've kind of graduated into talking about caps and co- details of contracts. You know what I mean? I feel yeah. like I've got, I'm getting my PhD now <laughs> in NHL knowledge. Um, so, yeah, thanks to decoding that. No problem. To end on Buffalo, though, um, Alex Tuck, who went from Vegas to Buffalo as part of the deal, um, he's an absolute prime target for any contender that needs a forward at the trade deadline and he'll go for a first round pick so essentially he's, he's not fit at the minute he's not playing so what I think will happen is he'll start playing for Buffalo really put himself in the shot window for a month sort of he doesn't want to be there but he knows it's in his best interest to play really well play really well and then somebody gives Buffalo a first round pick so essentially this deal is going to be like Peyton Krebs two first-round picks and a second-round pick for Eichel. Um, Peyton Krebs is really good. I like him a lot. Uh, he's either going to be a very, very good second centre or a decent first centre, and that's probably, obviously, how he performs and how long Eichel's out for, if he's got any further problems, is all going to determine like who wins this deal or whatever. Um, there's loads of stuff on the internet say, saying that, like, oh, Vegas have done terribly here, they've gave up far too much, and... But if Jack Eichel wins them a cup, then they've not they've not gave up too much. And then, like, there's a lot that's saying that uh, Buffalo have, have come out of this bad because there was a, a big Calgary rumour just before involving Matt Kachuk. Um, But if Buffalo happened to turn those two first-round picks into two genuine top-end players and Peyton Krebs is a first-line centre, then all of a sudden they, they could, in theory, if they've got two wingers, have, have a brand-new top line to play with. Yeah. Okay, I mean, also, I, I didn't know that it was Alex Tuck. I thought it was Alec Touche. Like, right. yeah, because I've never heard it said out loud. No. That is my defence. So well, You should watch more of the Western. <laughs> yeah, clearly. Whoosh. I got that message. Right. Um, let's whiz through this second period then as if there were no penalties, uh, like a painful period that you just want it to be over and done with. Um in this section, we've kind of earmarked COVID is back with vengeance. Um, we've already seen earlier uh, in the season, I mean, I know it's a month in, but San Jose Sharks at one point had seven players and their coach out of the lineup. Um, 
Pittsburgh also had a number of players. I guess the the main one that most people noticed was Sidney Crosby. He was injured. Then he goes, yeah, I'm going to come back. And then he's in COVID protocol. Um, and now Ottawa uh, have got, well, at least 10 players. I haven't looked at the latest stats, really. Who knows? They probably won't necessarily report all the ins and outs of who's tested positive, who hasn't. Um, but it's meant that uh, they've got three games which have uh, been cancelled. Uh, so a game against Nashville, New York Rangers, um, and I think the Devils they had cancelled. So next game is Avalanches, I see. Let's hope they don't take uh, COVID to Colorado Avalanche because you don't That's need any more. You don't need that with injuries, do you? Let's face it. No, um, no. I mean, I'm kind of like, I'm being joking about coronaviruses obviously some people can get really hit with it and as an athlete i imagine it sucks because you worry a lot about long covid but i mean it it seemed a bit we said on the last uh couple of podcasts how it was a bit like a, a mystery cloak about who's on covid protocol who isn't and what is the nhl's policy on cancelling games like what what is that magic sweet spot when they say right that's it you're having games cancelled and here it is it is what we discover. It's not seven. It's not five. It's ten. So, I mean, yeah. And Ottawa couldn't happen to a better team, I guess. Who probably need a bit of a break <laughs> and a reset. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um. The 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 NHL have have been far too secretive with with COVID for for the entire season, to be honest. And and I, I know we've mentioned it before. And I, I think all all four of us at, at some point during one day tried to go and find out who was on the COVID protocol list mm. for a podcast where it two or three, four episodes ago, wherever it were. Yeah. Um, and, and none of us could find it. it you, you don't know. So, so we don't, when you can't find things like that, you do sort of, not that you don't trust the NHL, but you do sort of wonder what it is that they're actually trying to do. So we've seen teams with seven players out and they've been forced, well, they've been told they've got to continue. Um, we've now got Otto with 10 and they're told that they can have a break. So either eight, nine or 10 is the, is the magic number um, for, for what's sort of seen as the time when teams need to have a break and that. Um, Ottawa did play on Saturday, short benched, and they were missing, I think, about six players at the time then. Um, things have got worse since then. But it, it just... I don't think the NHL are doing anything wrong. I would like them to be a little bit more transparent so that we can see what's happening and we can sort of understand why certain things... There'll be San Jose fans out there wondering why their games were not called off. Um, and it would be nice for a San Jose fan to know the answer to that, whereas we don't. We're just, we're just guessing. Yeah, I suppose the other thing is that St. Louis Blues had applied to NHL to get some cap relief because of COVID-19. Um, and it, it basically turned out that it wasn't going to be something that they did. I'm just kind of like making sure I've kind of got this, um, get, got my head right around this. I think, so what had happened was the Blues uh, were playing Anaheim Ducks uh, over at the weekend, and they only had 20 healthy players, which was actually the bare minimum. Um, they lost, obviously, uh, and if Ryan O'Reilly hadn't returned to the lineup after missing four games on the COVID protocol, then they would have actually been one player short. Um, so they asked about getting some relief on the cap, 
and they aren't necessarily the only ones. Um, so it's kind of saying what the current protocol is. The league tests players every three days. Um, and although there's some kind of like dispute, I think, at the moment, or maybe that got quashed as to whether it was necessary if they're vaccinated to keep testing them every three days. If you're unvaccinated, you get tested every day. But I think there's only one player in the whole of the league now that is unvaccinated. Um, so... <clears throat> Yeah, and I think pretty much the NHL said, uh, "No, mate, that's uh, that's not going to happen." Or they, or did they even respond? That's also what I'm trying to find out what the NHL response is. But yeah, I think uh, a lot of teams are, are playing shorts. They're still paying the the wages of the players. They're restricted on capacity of season tickets. You know what I mean, like. Money is money, business is business, and the cap is a very competitive thing. So, you know, we talked about taxi squads and the role of those and how might they work. That offered a little bit of flexibility to teams, but that doesn't seem to really be on the cards this year. So, yeah, I guess like there's kind of like hope is not a strategy, but it feels like the NHL is hoping it'll all be okay. <laughs> it's kind of what I feel like. Yeah. Or maybe there is some kind of strategy, and we as fans just have no idea. I think it's definitely hope. Um, Gary Bettman did something at the start of the season when he went through that was is a, at the start of the season, I think there were five unvaccinated players. And he was talking about that and talking about travel through Canada as, as though sort of COVID was was not, not that it wasn't an issue. It was an issue that they weren't really focusing on. And I think because they've not hit it from the start of the season, it's now pretty much impossible to, to how, how can you, for example, let uh, Colorado bring up an extra couple of guys from the AHL because of COVID when you've already said no to St. To Louis. Um, you, you, how can a team have a game postponed if they've got seven players missing when you've already said no to San Jose? There's The NHL have sort of dug themselves a, a hole, really, and, and they've now got to stick with what they've got. And the, the, the sort of... It wouldn't surprise me if this went on for another month or so. And we've also got the issue. And as far as I've, the bits I've read, the, the Olympics is going to be absolutely very, very stringent with COVID and everything like that. Uh, you're not allowed to go if you're not vaccinated for it across any sport, athlete, coach, anything. But the NHL has got hundreds of players going across to the Olympics, coming back, and, and who knows what that's going to do. Um, so I think it's going to be a, a rough sort of maybe three months, four months, whatever, till we get back into the spring. And the NHL, they've not really got a plan. They've just the plan is to do what they've already sort of set a precedent for with Ottawa, with San Jose, with St. Louis, and everybody else. Yeah. Anyway, well let's um, let's leave COVID where it needs to be left and uh, watch that space. Um, Let's talk about like some good news and some bad news, you know, because it's a month on. It's a nice time now where you get to actually look at the NHL uh, website and you get to look at the stats and they actually mean something. Like you need a few games for those stats to actually show something, don't you? That like week one means nothing. Everyone loses, wins, it's all over the shop. But a month in, I think we're kind of seeing how people are doing and some of the guys who are nailing it rather surprisingly, Anaheim Ducks. I mean, seven-game win streak. 
You know, they're up there in the top three most goals scored this season. 57. I was like, is that a mistake? Like Anaheim Ducks? They've kind of been like nowhere really for the last few seasons. I don't know if I could even like have named who their goalie is or like what they do. Because I, you know, well, Toronto only play them twice. So why would I need to? And we didn't definitely didn't play each other last year. So, I, I mean, I'm intrigued, you know, even... We look at the other guys who are doing well. Washington are on a four-game streak. They're chomping at the bit in the Metropolitan Division uh, towards Carolina. Carolina are doing amazing. They're second in the, la- uh, the league. They've got two games to hand. Uh, they are the best defensive team in the league through the 13 games. They're the fifth offensively. So they've obviously got a lot of expectation on them. Um, but then they're the guys that are not doing so great. Uh, so we've got Seattle in that list. Um, seems a little bit of a dis- disappointing. Was it that we were all just comparing them to Vegas Golden Knights uh, and hoping, like, with the success of their first series, that they were going to do the same? Because it's not kind of turning out that way. They're on a four-game losing streak. They're up there in the top three teams for most penalties this season. It ain't looking so pretty there, Craig, is it? What's happening out there in the Wild West yeah. Do you remember the first podcast we did at the start of the season when you asked me about Philip Grubauer and if I missed him or not? No. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. I, I don't stop. Um, what is his save percentage? Uh, I'm going to look. It's not very good. I think they're, they're con- as a team, they're conceding three and a half goals a game, I think, which is wow. uh, not very good. But, but everything that was spoken about Seattle sort of prior to the season um, was taking advantage of a fairly weak division and being very good defensively and probably not being the best hockey team to watch in terms of like flashes of brilliance, but being able to grind out like two, one victories. Um, and neither of, unfortunately for Seattle's case, um, being true so far. Oof. I mean, like, well, they've won four games, lost 10. Uh, I was just looking at Philip Grubauer's His save percentage is point. 880. I mean, ouch. And he's played 12 of those games. So, yeah, not looking that great. Avs win. Woo. Um, I mean, the, the thing that I still find is, and I don't get to watch uh, Toronto play Seattle for a little bit, um, but I just don't know any of the guys. There's so many unknowns and they haven't set their style and their stall out. So, Actually, like, why would we expect these guys to do that well? It's going to take a few seasons to, like, build, isn't it? Like, give them a break. It's just crazy expectations. It was a fluke with Vegas, surely. Um, Yeah, yeah. Well, Vegas, yeah, you're right. Vegas was was a bit of a fluke. Um, they, 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 they did. They also, like, got lucky, didn't they? And they've since cracked down and, like, teams have got wise about this expansion draft and were like, whoa, 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 you ain't getting mad, man. He's staying with me. I'm protecting him. Whereas people were didn't think about that so savvily, I don't get, with uh, when Vegas expansion came around. Yeah, yeah, I think Vegas were... Vegas have got more room to sort of pull the wool over the eyes of a few GMs around the league that have wisened up. And even those who's sort of with a different team now... Many of them, whether they were a GM, whether they were assistant GM or whatever they were, many of the people that are in charge of the teams now when Seattle came in were in, in sort of some capacity when Vegas came in. So they'd got the experience of that. Um, so I, I, Seattle are just a bit, a bit of a 
mashup, really. You're right, what you're saying. They've got a lot of sort of second-line players that they're trying to make into first-liners, third-liners that they're trying to make into second-liners and sort of give everybody a bump up from from what their previous role's been. They've, they've, I think they've tried to like sort of go out there and sign three really good third-line players and think because they're some of the best third-line players in this league, they're going to be a good second-line. Um, but, but it's not working out. They're, they're conceding far too many goals um, for, for their style of play. They're, they're never going to be big goal scorers. And while you've got Grubauer playing like he is um, and you've got a, a defensive unit in front of him that they, they look... A, they, so I've only seen him two or three times, three times, I think, but they just look a bit lost on the ice, to be honest. They don't they, they don't seem to be much structure to the play. Um they're just a bit of a, a much of, but it's, it's been highlighted sort of even more so by the fact that teams who are in their division, who we were expecting to do poorly, um, Anaheim and LA, as you've mentioned, have both started really, really well. And that sort of highlighted the fact that Seattle are bottom of, of this division, a division where, where many people, including me, thought that they would somehow sort of sneak into the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, to be worse than Vancouver Canucks right now is is saying something too. They're really sucking. But Anaheim, so this, this is fascinating, you know, just looking at, and even like the stars, some of the names that are coming out. So Troy Terry, I'd never heard of Troy Terry. Suddenly seems like he's a, he's a you know, pretty hot guy and he's seems to be making a, a case like to be considered for the US Olympic team. You know, 14 game point streak, longest such run in the NHL this season. Um, a career high in goals, 11, 20 points in 15 games. It matches its previous season best of 20 points. And that was in 48 games in the season. Um, and so basically people are kind of calling them. I was reading on ESPN, the Ducks are quickly becoming one of the NHL's best stories of the season. Who'd have thought it? Yes, bizarre, bizarre. They've they've got a couple of uh, older end guys as well that that like Ryan Getzlaff should be sort of like tucked up at home, pipe and slippers by now, um, and he, he's not. He's he's playing really, really well. Um, Adam Henrique was the other player that stood out when I he he's been around the league for years and years. One of these sort of veterans that get put in these teams that's rebuilding just to try and sort of keep the ship ticking along as such. Um, and, and both of them are playing great. Um, Anaheim are a team that I expected little of this year, um, a little bit more of next year, and then sort of the year after that to really flourish and, and be a good, good team. Um, but they they seem to be on fast forward at the minute. They're, they're flying. Mm. And they've got a very, very good goalie as well. It always helps when you've got a good goalie. That John Gibson can single-handedly win games for them. Um, he's, he's long since been talked about moving because... He's, he's sort of, as we mentioned with Eichel, a really, really good player doesn't deserve to be on a team near the bottom. Um, but if they can keep holding for the next year or so, then John Gibson all of a sudden became, becomes a, a good goalie, but on a fairly decent team as well. Um, so so he's, he's very good. I like John Gibson. Interestingly, that it's not just, um, you know, the goaltending end that they're doing well, but, you know, power play as well. They're up there. Like it's pretty close, second, third, fourth. Anyway, but that share between Anaheim Ducks, Dallas Stars, St. Louis Blues, Edmonton are up there by a mile at 41.9%. But to see Anaheim up there shows that they've got the offence and they've got the defence. And that seems to be a real key part. I mean, something else that I was 
kind of looking through where are we at in terms of power play and penalty kill? Because I think like a month on, it's, it's like where you kind of get to see how are your special teams really doing? Because we know that when it comes to playoffs, a lot of time it's how your special teams perform that get you the success as well as your goaltending. Um, San Jose are a top of the shop for penalty kill, 89.7%, uh, followed by Edmonton, Chicago, and Toronto with not much in it between those. Um, the other thing as well, because I know that Dallas have had a bit of a rough road, um, just staying with the West. Um, and Matt, who's on this podcast, was getting seriously worried and has been seriously worried about what on earth is going on there. We heard their assistant coach was pulled off the bench, wasn't he? And basically sent upstairs to go and look at some videos, which is like almost being grounded, isn't it, really, in the NHL? <laughs> Um, yet the, the picture is that Dallas are up the top for power play. Uh, they're, they're in the top uh, four for winning face-off percentages. More than half of their face-offs they win. So, yeah, you know, if you ever want to kind of geek out and just uh, learn about the stats, NHL stats is, is a lot of fun, really. And it shows <laughs> you the history, how you, you can compare it from like from 1977 season all the way through to see how few goals are scored now compared to the way it used to be. Also, just look at the penalty minutes because that's a bit of a laugh, isn't it, really? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, I, yeah, I mean, so are you going to kind of like think that Seattle are going to be not making the playoffs and could be sitting at the bottom of the league with Arizona for pretty much the rest of the season? Are you going to change... What you said? Would you like us to delete the podcast of uh, a few weeks ago? Yeah, if we can just cut out <laughs> a couple of minutes and just insert what I'm about to say now. Um, I think Seattle are going to do really, really poor this year. Actually, I know I'm going against what everybody else has said. Everybody thinks they're getting the playoffs, but I think they're going to start poor. They're going to be bottom after 14 games. Um, no, no, seriously. See, the the issue I've got with Seattle is that. Um, not only do they have to improve, but they, they're now relying on other teams around them, sort of regressing a little bit. Calgary have started much better than they were expected to. Um, I enjoy. I watched them a, a week or so ago, and I really enjoyed watching them. Um, Anaheim and, and LA, that they're, they're doing much better. Vegas are not doing so well, but they've got so many injuries. It's only a matter of time until they get better. So if you're sort of looking at it now, you get three guaranteed playoff spots, potentially two more wild cards, but I doubt they'll go to this division. But even if they did go to this division, you've got Edmonton, Vegas, um, Calgary, Anaheim, LA. Which one of those teams would you knock out for Seattle? Because I wouldn't knock any of them. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I don't have any Seattle players on my uh, fantasy team. So that is quite good. I uh, did well. Um, <laughs> LA Kings. So these guys, are, I don't, again, I don't really know too much about them, but they're kind of hanging on in there in the middle to be, you know, on the same points as Vegas would be quite surprising. Not, you know, they're not necessarily one that I would kind of put even in the running for like to make the playoffs, but is something going right there that we haven't seen before? Um, exactly the same as Anaheim, really. They've got a lot of young players who were expected to, be okay this year, good next year, and then very, very good um, in a couple of years. And they seem to have just sort of hit, hit the fast forward button, really, and they, they're flying at the minute. Um, <clears throat> I think he's, did he, I'm sure he scored against the Leafs. Like, I, Alex Ayafalo, 
Um, I'm sure he scored against the Leafs the other, last week. Um, I think I tried I to remember. erase that game from right. my memory yeah. because for those of you who don't know, they whopped us 5-1. It was a bad day in the office, but yeah. Yeah, um, he's playing really well. When we spoke about Montreal at the start of the season, somewhere around there, uh, we were talking about Nick Suzuki and how he no longer had Philip Deneau behind him as the second centre. Um, he's gone over to LA and he started playing really well. Um, and, and LA, in a similar vein to Anaheim, they've got uh, they've got their older end guys who sort of they're designed to bring the youngsters on. Drew Dowerty, uh, although he's not playing at the minute. Um, Anzi Kopitar as well. They're all having really good seasons. And the bubble may burst at some point for these teams, but at the minute, the youngsters are improving quicker than than you would expect for both Anaheim and LA. And the older end are playing better for longer at both teams as well. Um, we'll see what happens in a in a few months if they can keep that up. But of the two, I think let me get this right. LA are the better team now. Anaheim, it wouldn't surprise me if they were the better team in three or four years. Interesting. And actually, just thinking, as you were saying about the youngsters, I remember the, that we were talking on the podcast about LA Kings just being full of veterans and it felt like it was one of the oldest like teams in the league because they obviously had cup success a few years ago and they kind of been tied into these long-term contracts and now they're getting out some of those or guys are moving on or whatever. Now they're kind of like, right, it's the next generation or the start of the next generation of these teams. So, yeah, I also saw with LA Kings about Snoop Dogg. Did you see this? He's releasing a new album and he's like going to be there doing some videos as part of LA Kings. I mean, surely that's going to help motivate you as a team, isn't it? Well, yeah, yeah. I assume so. I've not seen this, no. Um, He's done something with LA before, though, hasn't he? Has he done some sort of announcing or something? In-ring yes. announcing or something like that, yeah? He's doing that as well. He's doing uh, part of the play-by-play commentary, yeah. A bit of playing a song in between periods, something like that? I don't know. I wouldn't think it was too family-friendly, to be honest. Well, who knows? Um, the, the last thing on LA, last thing we'll touch on, LA have had a very, very good netminder for, for a decade now, Jonathan Quick. Calvin Peterson, their second young netminder, is now challenging Jonathan Quick uh, in that they're sort of sharing starting duties. One of the big advantages of a, a rebuild team is finding a netminder. Uh, one of the big positives for both Anaheim and LA is that they know where their netminder is going for the for the next sort of five, assuming Anaheim keep John Gibson, which I think they will now. For the next five or six years, their netminding is absolutely rock solid and solved. It's not an issue for them at all, which is something if you look at Buffalo, for example, as we've spoke about earlier, uh, Buffalo have not had a good goalie since Dominic Ashek, I don't think. Um, it is, it's a big difference and it's, it's a big positive for them too. Well, okay. So many, so many things going on and so many bits of news and things to watch out for and surprises. I mean, yeah, I think it's always good to kind of like do this podcast and just kind of like think about teams other than your own. It kind of helps you like really take in the sport as a whole, really, rather than just your narrow-minded singular run towards the Stanley Cup. 
um win lose win lose and like amazing story at the weekend for leafs um joseph wall uh, who came in as the backup netminder sheldon keith uh, the coach said sometimes guys get a start in net because they've been working really hard behind the scenes in practice sometimes when someone's hurt they get an opportunity and my goodness that guy absolutely nailed it i mean defensively we were better but i think it's always great to kind of look at those those days because i very much kind of in my old days had i seen like that score was a loss i would have been like oh no the leafs are rubbish again but now understanding the context you kind of think well no that guy's like playing his first nhl game you know he's not even really played that much with the team he's pretty new moving up from the marlies but to see him get his first nhl game win and the excitement and his family being so overjoyed. It just reminds you like how special a sport this really is and what that means for like people coming up from the ranks and the opportunities of developing the young talent. So I always uh, enjoy seeing those first goals, first games. We need, you know, we have to celebrate those moments rather than just look at the same names over and over again. And you'll notice I have not mentioned Alexander Ovechkin in this podcast for that reason, because we always mention him. <laughs> um, Craig, it's been awesome to like kind of round up what's been happening the last couple of weeks. Uh, anything you're looking forward to in particular in the next uh, couple of weeks at all? Um, yeah, don't the Avs play the Leafs at some point, don't they? Yes. Before we record next, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you've got. Well, I say the Avs play the Leafs. Uh, the Leafs play half of an Avs team and and half of the Colorado Eagles. To be honest, but but uh, we'll we'll give you half a chance by not having Nathan McKinnon. So we'll we'll see what happens. <laughs> okay, well we'll watch the space and see whether Austin Matthews continues to uh, go on a scoring uh, little streak and um, come and connect with us. We're on Twitter at NHL Fans from Afar. Thanks very much for listening. Tarara bit. <laughs>